0: Welcome to the Ghostly Gallery Podcast, a place where we explore the world of horror in film, literature, and popular culture. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome. My name is Bruce Markison. And as always, I'm joined by producer and co-host Tracy Asteria. Tracy, welcome to the show. How are you?
1: I'm good, Bruce. How are you tonight? Good. I wanted to ask
0: you about your Halloween. You were telling me that you had to work the entire day. Is that true?
1: I did. I worked right into the evening, but it was it was a cold, dark night, and unfortunately there wasn't many kids around my neighborhood this year, so that was disappointing. I'm hopeful next year will be better. How about you?
0: Well, I, I worked as well, at least until 5 o'clock. At the Hall of Fame, they encourage all of the employees to dress up, so of course I dressed up as Frankenstein. What else am I going to be, right? I didn't win the costume party contest. Somebody else who was dressed like Wednesday Adams won, uh, which was fine. Uh, it, it was just the fun of of being Frankenstein, scaring. I scared my boss when she first walked in in the, in the morning. She didn't know I was going to be dressed like that. So that was kind of fun. Uh, then at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, we actually opened the doors uh, at the Hall of Fame to trick-or-treaters were open throughout the day before then but then we encouraged trick-or-treaters the kids and their parents to come in and we must have had a few hundred kids uh, that came through from three to five o'clock and then at five o'clock Cooperstown does a parade down Main Street and we did that which was a lot I walked in the parade as Frankenstein so that was kind of fun and then after all of that, I was able to go home. I watched some horror films. One of the movies I watched was the 1974 edition of Dracula with Jack Callence as the Count. And uh, I, I knew it was a good film, but I'd forgotten how good a film it was. Uh, it, was, it was. It was nice to watch it. I watched it on that Movies TV network that Jeff Thompson, one of our earlier guests, had suggested. Right. And they, they aired a lot of great, great old horror films throughout the month of October, and then they had a marathon on Halloween, day and night, and I was enjoying some of that. But the 74 edition of Dracula, Dan Curtis directed that, was really, really good, and and Jack Palance was a lot of fun to watch in that role. So all in all, very busy, very good Halloween. Can't complain.
1: Wonderful.
0: Well, from Halloween to Hollywood... Today, our guest is a friend of ours, Michael Dante. Michael is an award-winning actor, also an award-winning author, and he's a celebrity radio talk show host. Uh, He has compiled uh, more than 60 credits in TV and film, including a key role in the terrific 1971 horror film Willard. And at one time, Michael was a professional baseball player. He played three seasons in the minor leagues before eventually turning to professional acting. Uh, Michael was born in Stamford, Connecticut, not that far from where we are in upstate New York. And he is so revered in Stamford, there is a street named in his honor. So Michael's accomplishments are are many. Um, They are well varied as well. We're very happy to have him on the program. Michael, welcome to the Ghostly Gallery podcast. How are you doing?
2: Oh, Thank you, Bruce. And Tracy, it's a pleasure. And let me correct you right away. Uh, oh. 30 films and 150 television shows. Okay. And, um, yeah. Uh, I think you mentioned it was 60. There's uh, uh, a lot more uh, 60 years of work, I think, maybe might be the a uh, proper uh, introduction. There, uh, it's uh, it's been a, a wonderful ride and, and enjoyable. A lot of hard work, ups and downs, and uh, I'm looking forward to talking about a uh, a couple of um, What we we call them when I was growing up, we call them not horror films. We call them scary movies. <laughs> yes. scary movies. Yeah. We had to see, um, for example. One of our favorites, or I should say, two of our favorites, was Frankenstein and Werewolf. Frankenstein with Boris Karloff, you know, one of them, Ben Lugosi, wonderful. And of course, Lon Chaney, uh, uh, the Werewolf. And um, we, went, we went in and, you know, we'd, we'd have nightmares. I got home because the theater, the weekends at the Strand and the Plaza, our uh, Palace Theater in our hometown. Yeah. They were the only two uh, theaters we had, and of course, uh, we couldn't afford uh, <laughs> to, uh, to to go to the, uh, pay for the movies and our our candies and our little goodies. And uh, so, in uh, those days, the exit doors were on the sides of the uh, theater. So when the uh, movie was finished or serial or the news, the doors would open, and people would exit the, the side doors. They wouldn't go out the front door where they came in. So we would sneak underneath that light and and, and sit there, not only for one show, we'd sit there for two shows. We'd go in in the afternoon, and we'd, we'd stay there until 5 or 6 o'clock at night, get home just in time for dinner. But we, we'd... <laughs> We were movie buffs and serial buffs and, of course, westerns and scary movies were our favorites. And, uh, you know, the actors that, that did um, uh, uh, Boris Karloff and Bela Lugosi and Frankenstein and, and Lon Chaney, they were just excellent. They were classic performances. And till this day, I enjoy, when I see a rerun on, on uh, television, I uh, uh, kind of go back and, and and think about the wonderful memories of growing up with these wonderful actors and these uh, uh, scary movies.
0: So, Michael, when you snuck into the theater, did you ever get caught?
2: No, we never did. So, you know, we were pretty good at it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you no, know, it, it was... Uh, uh, we've got it, and I remember those days we... There was a corner store, and I remember uh, called Shultes. It was a candy store right on the corner of Main Street. So before we went to the end of the, into the uh, theater, we would always have enough money for a baby root, baby root candy, you know, and an almond or an almond joy, one of those or two, and that was our lunch lunch for the day, <laughs> and we'd skip. Uh, <laughs> We didn't go in there with with a lunch but we had our 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 snack and it was a a, a baby root or uh alma Joy. so uh, uh we were delighted and you know we did in those days we didn't need very much to to be happy uh, to be uh, uh enjoying uh, the movies and doing little things that made us all happy because we were all loved. We had wonderful, uh, and we had a, a great attitude in loving mom, dad, family, God, and country. We ordered our home to to respect the uh, police officers. and We all wanted to be policemen. We all wanted to be firemen, and uh, we respected uh, the law. And we, we uh, families, were very, all very, uh, friendly on our blocks the win- doors were open windows were open music was playing throughout the neighborhood it was life in those days and, and um, uh, I kind of miss it we don't have that uh, trust today We mm. have uh, too many crimes and, and too many angry and uh, bitter people that uh, have a different idea about life
0: Michael, I'm glad you corrected me on the number of film credits. We're going to have to contact IMDb because I was relying on them for the information. They're the one that listed you with 60 uh, TV and film credits. But as you pointed out, uh, more than 30 film credits, well over 100 television credits. Uh, we're, We're going to have to add a few to the IMDb page. Um, if, that's, if that's possible to do, because they're underselling you, and uh, we, we don't want to see that happen. Michael, I want to talk first, before we get into film, I want to talk about your early days as a ball player. A lot of people don't realize you were a top-flight shortstop in high school. You were signed by the Milwaukee Braves, the old Milwaukee Braves, now, of course, the Atlanta Braves. And you were so good, you received a bonus of six thousand dollars. You were pretty highly touted, correct?
2: Yes. Well, it was Boston Braves at that time, Bruce. It was the last year they were in Boston. That was 1949. I had graduated out of high school and the Stanford Advocate, uh, our uh, local newspaper sponsor, was our sponsor uh, and there was a, a league, a New England newspaper league. So Therefore, our Sanford Advocate automatically sponsored us. And we had a a good ball club, and we were very fortunate to win our division and then uh, uh, be invited to Boston to play in the playoffs, in which we won. And I was uh, uh, the most valuable player uh, in the tournament uh, then. And uh, the reward was... A $6,000 bonus. The Braves uh, uh, thought enough of me to give me the maximum. In those days, $6,000, you got a a penny over $6,000, you had to stay two years in the big leagues. Well, they were about to do that with an 18 year old kid. So they gave me the maximum, $6,000. And um, the first thing I did was uh, buy our family a a four-door viewing, white wall tire, of radio, and heater. We were, uh, I had three sisters, a brother, mom and dad, so there were seven of us. And dad was in the produce business, so me and the only means of transportation was the truck. And, of course, that wasn't very pleasant when my sisters had to climb out the truck to uh, have dad transport us uh, to wherever we were, wherever we were going. Uh, so, uh, socially, so um, uh, and Dad worked seven days a week. By the way, in the produce business, mm. it was a very, a very tough business uh, to be in. And, and he said to me, "I don't want you anywhere near this business. Uh, please," he said, "Don't follow my footsteps." Well, anyway, the, the automobile served us so well. Uh, Dad, Mom, of course, were so thrilled. And now we were able to have transportation of this beautiful four-door Buick. And uh, it, it was something very special. Now, in today's market, I would say um, um, between it would be uh, between 3 and $4 million of bonus. Oh, my God. You had the draft, A, and so forth. Top draft players get... Uh, quite a, uh, uh, a huge bonus, so that would have been. I always said to mom, I said, mom, you know, you brought me into the world too early. You should have waited a while. Maybe if I got a, a bonus that would be two or three, 4000000 But we were well, in those days, six thousand dollars was went a long way. Sure, yeah. we were we were one happy family and took a lot of pressure over dad and his work and his income and to support uh, seven people in the household, also every day, seven days a week. So uh, hey. it, was, uh, it was a very special uh, time in our lives.
0: Yeah. Michael, you played three seasons in the minor leagues. Um, then your career came to an end. Did you get hurt? What What happened to end your career after the three years?
2: Yeah, I was what we call uh, Bruce and professional terms, uh, damaged goods. I mean, it really sidetracked my development. You know, I got hurt, hit hurt in my second year, injured on my shoulder, and they knew nothing, I mean, zero, about sports medicine or kinesiology in those days. And unfortunately, I was a victim because they, as a matter of fact, uh, they they gave me heat treatments when they should be giving me cold treatments, today it would be the opposite. Cold treatments mm-hmm. until uh, uh, they were able to do uh, and treat you differently. There were days they were giving me heat treatment, which was making it worse. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so I, I went hither and yelling, and uh, I I was so brokenhearted. And, uh, I, I I I I didn't know. Uh, uh, where my life was going to go because I don't I didn't know if that arm was ever going to come around or I, I was finished but anyway it, um, uh, they had uh, sent me to, to uh, Dr. George E. Bennett he was the uh, uh, doctor that operated on uh, Ted Williams when he put the first foot uh, uh, screws metal screws and Ted Williams' shoulder. So they were beginning to develop uh, sports medicine. And George E. Bennett was the number one orthopedic do- doctor in the world at that time. And he was the uh, head uh, orthopedic surgeon at uh, Johns Hopkins in Baltimore. And he said to me, I had operated uh, on my shoulder. And uh, he said to me, he said, uh, son, this is what I want you to do. Follow my instructions. Uh, I I know you want with all your heart. You want to uh, play baseball. Let you. I want you all on the heel in in warm weather. I want you to go somewhere where it's warm. He knew about our weather in Stanford, Connecticut. It was was always the worst. It either rain or cold. We <laughs> we didn't like uh, athletes playing baseball. Didn't like the weather. We, we had on uh, in Sanford, Connecticut. We'd always get rained out or have a problem with cold weather and so forth. But he said, look, I want you to go uh, south and uh, uh, allow your arm to heal. And after two months of healing, I want you to start uh, a throwing program. So he wrote out exactly what, what I wanted to do. So I went to Mom and Dad and said, Mom and Dad said, can I have money. I wanted to enter the University of Miami of Florida as a drama major, which was my second love, acting. Uh, and uh, I, I, I thought, well, gee, I'm uh, chasing two American dreams for myself. And my dad always said, you know, and later on, uh, he had said to me, he said, you know, son, you picked the two toughest professions in the whole world. To be successful, uh, to be a, a, a star in films and television or uh, 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 baseball, and he said, I'm proud of you and support you and love whatever you want to do. And, and mom and dad was always supportive. But I entered the University of Miami as a, a drama major there. And uh, um, I lived off campus at the time. The University of Miami Florida was not like it is today. It was a lot different. And um, living off campus, well, um, a buddy of mine, Mickey McDermott, a left-hander that pitched for the Red Sox, the Yankees, uh, Washington, and the Cardinals. And um, uh, the Washington Senators, uh, on a conditioned basis, invited me to spring training this was nineteen. Now we're up to nineteen fifty-five. Uh, uh, that they invited me to spring training to Orlando, f- Florida, uh, and Mickey um, uh, was very, very uh, uh, instrumental in encouraging me and 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 coaxing me along and, and, and I, you know don't rush it into wanting to try and thro- throw two early and so forth well uh uh Mickey Mickey lived there he lived in in, in Coral Gables so he was at uh, uh I was at his house uh, well, he was married at the time I had two uh two two, uh, two daughters and um the phone rang and Mickey picked up uh, the phone and said hey hello yeah, hey, T.D., how are you? It was Tommy Dorsey. Oh, my God. <laughs> and he said, on the end of the phone, Tommy Dorsey said, uh, Mickey, we got a night off. His manager, Tino Barzi, uh, and he loved baseball. God, they love him. He loved baseball as much as he loved his trombone, his own instrument.
0: Michael, for some of our younger listeners, Explain who Tommy Dorsey was.
2: No, Tommy Dorsey was the number one band leader in the world at the time. This is not. This was 1954, just before uh, spring training in 55. 1954, all semester, I I uh, registered at the uh, university uh, that fall semester. So this was 54, uh, before the holidays, and he was doing that. Uh, Tom. Uh, did the Nestle show and the old American show uh, for uh, 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 oh the great Jackie Gleason. Oh my goodness they were the best of friends and those two shows were two of the most popular comedy shows uh, you know in all the world this this was just they were sensational and uh, number one uh, on the the ratings and so forth so Tommy automatically uh, was a superstar in his own right. And, and uh, of course, uh, uh, a big band leader uh, invited to do one-nighters uh, at this point of his uh, tour up and down the east and west coast of Florida. And he said, he couldn't calling Mick, he said, Mick, uh, we've got a night off tonight. We want to take you to dinner. Tino and I, we want to talk baseball and go over the hitters in baseball terminology. <laughs> and so he said, "We'll go over to the, uh, each of the ball club and see if you got any young ball players. He said, yeah, we got a, a young ball player right here. He's a hell of a ball player. He said, this guy, he could make our ball club. And he said, do you mind if he comes along? And, and Tommy said, sure, sure, absolutely. So we went to dinner, had a great time, and we got along royally and so forth. But Tommy's last words were, Um, look, I'm going to be in February. I'll be coming back again, doing one-nighters again, and we'll get together again. So February, of course, was just before we, uh, I was going to spring training with the Washington Senators Mm -hmm. in March, March 1st. So, oh, it was perfect. We would be available, and they came so far. Well, true to his word, cut to the chase, February uh I was walking out of out of my uh apartment and I had all the props in my crawl right here and then uh, I had one of those Spanish buildings with a lock was on top and I was just about to uh, to unlock the the door The, the door was ajar maybe two inches I mean if that door was closed I wouldn't be here now talking with it the phone rang in the, in, the, in the room, and, uh, oh, I said, oh, dear, here's the props. And I had to get to rehearsal. It was a dress rehearsal uh, that I had to, had to attend. I couldn't get out of it. And I said, well, look, here I have three sisters, a brother, mom, and dad, 15 aunts and uncles. If I don't answer that phone and something goes wrong with any one of them, I'll never forgive myself. So he threw the door open, threw the props on the couch, and on the other end was, Hey pal. it was Tommy Dorsey. Tommy, we were doing an imitation of Jackie Gleason. So I knew I was I knew I was in when he addressed me that way, which means he I'm a part of the group but he accepted, accepted me. So he he was a tough leader, a great leader. But a tough leader, totally professional. I mean, absolutely uh, nothing. He settled for nothing less than perfection in his band and anything he had was associated with. So he said, "I've been trying to get you all day. I had to call um, uh, the office to get you uh, to to." Uh, get your number and so forth. You know, little Mickey, I don't know where he is. I kept calling there at his house and, and so forth. And he said, he meant, thank you. He said, Thank God I was able to get the, the, um, uh, the, uh, all the administration office. And they gave him, gave me your number and so forth. And um, anyway, well, we want to go to dinner tonight and do what we did the last time. In the meantime, See if you get a hold of Mickey. We'll try to get a hold of Mickey. Mm-hmm. Well, he said, I said, Gee, Tommy, I can't. I got props I got to do. I'm a dress rehearsal. I can't. But I can meet you for coffee afterwards after dinner. And he said, No, 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 no. He said, Leave a pass for the two of us. We'll meet you backstage. Where are you going to be? I said, I'll be at the Ring Theater at, 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 at Miami, which is the name of our theater, the Ring Theater. Mm-hmm. True to his word, backstage he met after the rehearsal. There he was, and we neither one of us could get a little a Mickey. So we went to dinner and so forth. And we had a wonderful, wonderful conversation. He said, Michael, I'm only gonna tell you this once. I helped quite a few people in my lifetime and, and it was a." love to be in a position to help talented people. He said, when you're on stage, he said, you're a handsome guy, you're tall, you're athletic, he said, you move so well. He said, you got all the attributes to be a movie star. Mm. And he said, I'm going to tell you this once. I had one particular a talent. He became a giant. And he did okay. And I, I really was instrumental in launching his career. And his name was Frank Sinatra. Wow, and, do you really think I, I have the, the the attributes of becoming a movie star. Uh, he said, absolutely. He said, all they have to do is learn all the, the machinations, you know, about the, uh, a camera movement and so forth. That comes later. He said, I've spent seven years on on the contract to MGM. And we're going out to do the home show at the Pan Pacific Auditorium in two weeks in April. So that's right after spring training. Just for April 1st, it was right the beginning of the first and the ending of uh, of the spring training. Could have been better timing. And he said, here's my itinerary. We'll be in touch, I'll call you from time to time to get a progress record. Report how your arm is coming around. Well, again, cut to the chase. My arm was not quite ready, but it was towards the end of uh, March, and I had to make a decision. And it was sending me down to uh, Chattanooga, the double A club, and, and chasing. And um, the trainer there, my arm started. Uh, he, he did a good job in stretching me. That's all I really needed. All the things that they, they couldn't do, didn't do, the what I really needed was stretching. Anyway, so my arm was really really in pretty good shape. But I only have two weeks of my life, when I'm only uh, 20, 21 years old at that time. And he... I thought, well, let me take a two weeks leave of absence, see what happens. I can always go back to baseball. I'm still a youngster, so forth. So I joined Tommy and joined them in Las Vegas. Had a great time in Vegas and and in uh, uh rode with him in his automobile, just the two of us, to Los Angeles, who we had an awful lot to talk about. Well, during that stay, after the the uh, two weeks uh, there at the Pan Pacific Auditorium, Tommy introduced me to Jack Cummings, producer of uh, several most, uh, motion pictures at MGM. I tested out at MGM. They signed me to a contract. I never went back to baseball. 30 films, 150 television shows later. And on the contract, the three majors one of the few actors or, or if any other actors Male actors who were under contract, three major studios: MGM, Warner Brothers, 20, 20th Century Fox. I had a 5 fiction deal at twentieth Century Fox. Had my own radio show for twelve years, and I've written six books. I just finished my sixth book, oh, and ready to go on on um, uh, Team Dante, uh, uh, talk radio shows. dot on the internet. Uh, and also, it's on uh, 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 Spotify. That's it. Mm-hmm. So uh, we have an awful lot that have accomplished and still uh, so much uh, more there to look forward in the future. So that, uh, I'm sorry to be long-winded, but it, it is a long story. And I really, uh, uh, I think it, I say it, there's no question it was divine guidance that, uh, I met Tommy Dorsey yeah. through my uh, buddy, uh, Mickey McDermott. So uh, I, I I can't be more grateful for the good Lord and the timing uh, that existed uh, to bring me here to this day to talk with you, Tracy and, and Bruce. This is really uh, brings back a lot of beautiful memories.
1: Oh, my gosh. And we'd love to hear them. And uh, you know what? Everything happens for a reason in everybody's life. That's an amazing story.
2: Yes, I've been blessed. I mean, so many. I mean, if you look at the list of my radio show, which is over 200 celebrities that I introduced, about 45 of them are from the um, Hall of Fame, NFL, Major League Baseball, boxing, golf, tennis, I mean, it's incredible. So, um, and, uh, and in my lifetime, I'm meeting all the big stars Clark Gable and, and uh, Lana Turner and, and Grace Kelly. I mean, it just goes on and on. And uh, so it was a, you know, a, a, a boyhood dream, a fantasy that became a, a reality. And so we chased the American dream. America has all of that. Uh, to offer all of our young people, if they work hard enough and mm-hmm. and and uh, believe and yeah. uh, and and just have all the confidence in the world, because every every human being is born with some talent, something, have, whatever that is, just uh, chase it, chase the American Dream. America has that to offer to all our young people. All they have to do is take advantage of it and then uh, just uh, believe in divine guidance and uh, things will happen.
0: Amazing, one or two meetings with Tommy Dorsey um, changes a life and and certainly uh, changes it for the better. When I first met you, Michael, it was at the Baseball Hall of Fame, I think it was around 2016. Uh, You and your wife, Mary Jane, uh, came to the uh, Cooperstown area. You took a tour of the Hall of Fame. I forget who asked me to take you folks around, uh, but I was glad to do it. It was a Saturday afternoon and took you through the library and through some of the other behind-the-scenes areas of the Baseball Hall of Fame. And we got to talking. Not only do we have an interest in baseball, but also a mutual interest in film film. I talked a little bit about my interest in horror movies. One of the things that you told me about that day, Michael, was you had a chance to be the star of a television show, 1950s, The Untouchables. And you thought about it, but as I recall, you ended up going in a different direction because you had multi-film offer from a studio. You decided to go in that direction, and long-term, it ended up working out okay, but in the short-term, you lost out on The Untouchables. Tell us a little bit about that story.
2: Well, it was very interesting. Not really. I had to, uh, I had a... It was my choice. Uh, what happened, uh, there was a show called uh, Desilu Playhouse, and um, I co-starred with Roy Calhoun and Janice Rule in a... Uh, uh, episode called The Killer Instinct where I played a fighter. I played a Mexican fighter in it. I I spoke Spanish in it and so forth. And Rory and I did our own um, we didn't have any sparring partners. We did our own uh, uh fighting or uh, boxing and so forth, training and so on. Well in less than twenty four hours, that was on a um uh, uh Sunday night the show uh uh, it was very very popular. Had great ratings. Yeah. You New know, Playhouse. It was owned by uh, uh Desi and Uh Desi, you know Desi Arnaz and uh, Lucille Ball.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And so, I did really did a great job. And the next morning, I mean, I'm talking less than twenty four hours. I met with uh, Quinn Martin, the executive producer creator of. Uh, of the principals, he wanted me to do thirteen shows and Stack would do thirty. I wouldn't play Stack's flunky. I would start in thirteen, and he would start. Th- we would rotate one week. He would be on, and the following week, I'd be And we each star in thirteen shows. He had a con- They had a contract of twenty-six uh, committed shows for, to the network, and at the same time. Now, this was at a, at uh, uh, 10.30, and at 11.30, I had a uh, meeting with Sidney Bohm. Sidney Bohm was a producer and writer of Seven Thieves, a uh, caper of film starring uh, Eddie G. Robinson, Rod Steiger, Eli Wallach, Joan Collins, uh, Barry Kroger, and Alex Corby. I remember all of their names. And yours truly. I played the lover boy safecracker. Well, I only well, I wanted to do films. They, my choice was to do films. Because mm-hmm. I loved the, the time. And in those days, television, and it was, everything was, you know, uh, shoot it yesterday, get it done yesterday. It was, everything was scheduled right to the minute, and so forth. Because they're working on uh, budgets and so forth that were not the largest budgets in the world. But when you're doing a film, you have time to rehearse. Mm-hmm. And that's how you train to rehearse, to relax, take your time, and get in inside and outside of the character and really begin, after you've memorized your dialogue, then bring in your creative contributions. to that that character and so forth and then working with the the director and uh, working together and and improving uh everything that was written so um uh when i moved quinn i said quinn uh and uh, and each time i said no the the money went up the price went up my age he asked me uh said, do you mind leaving the room for a minute or two he talked to my, my agent. My agent said, Michael, they want to give you more money and so forth and so on and uh, uh, more perks. And then the second time, I mean, I wasn't thinking about money. Mm-hmm. I knew that it would work. And money's a, reserve, a result. I don't care what you're doing in life. If you are, you create something, you invent something, whatever that is, and your talent, has to do with it. You will be rewarded if the work is good, and money will be there. But if you chase the money, then you, then you're you looking at, at a different approach. To, uh, I chose, as I learned about myself later. I chose to live a life and my career as an art form. See, as an art form, that allowed me to. Uh, invent and create uh, things other than what is re- written. And it also uh, it brought me, led me to uh, other directions, like writing. Mm-hmm. If you asked me in the beginning of my career, or 10 or 15, 20 years of my career, I'd be writing uh, uh, novellas and books and uh, biographies and so forth. Uh, and win and win an, an award, the Ella Dickey Award in Marshfield, Missouri in, in 2018 for my uh, biography, I'd say, you're a lion. It's difficult. You're the old guy. So uh, with that approach of, of an art form, I don't care who it is, young people, if you're listening, treat your life and treat your work as an art form, then you start you start inventing it and doing things that you, you never would uh, venture uh, off the top of your head, because the, the attitude and th- that direction to create and, and and invent is what America what made America great. Every generation, every twenty years, are uh, our young people, the generation, invented, invented, and brought us up to where we are today. But I'm, I'm a little disappointed today, because today they brought it up to a point where we're going backwards, where you want to eliminate history, where you are uh, 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 trying to change the constitution and other. Uh, wonderful, respectful things about our forefathers. And I've had relatives with, that were killed in World War II. Mm-hmm. They gave their lives, men and women, that have gave their lives so that we could be here doing what we're doing and be able to and be free mm-hmm. and, 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 and exercise whatever pursuit of life or direction we want to go. So the young people... Think about that. Think about treating your life and your work as an art form. It, it It's, oh, God, it served me so well yeah, for 60 years. I did awfully well with, uh, uh, with that, added, that attitude and that approach yeah. to life.
0: I think you make an interesting point here, Michael. You know, we look at television and film today and they're they're almost on a par. Um, there's a lot of great stuff being done on television, streaming, Netflix, that sort of thing. Uh, back in the '50s and '60s, television was still, in a lot of ways, in its infancy, its early years. Film was considered more prestigious, maybe in some ways more challenging. One of the things that you mentioned, and and actually this still holds today, when you're doing a film. You know, you, you do a take, and then you do another take, and then you do another take, and you have a long shooting schedule, whereas in television, you got to get things done within a week because you got to move on to the next episode. And and obviously, your career choice worked out really well. Um, you did end up doing television later in your career, but you did a lot of yeah, film. Oh, sure. Yeah. And And I want to talk about, I believe it was the first horror film that you ever did. Correct me if I'm wrong on that, but it was 1971. And you were an offered to appear in the film Willard, which is still well known more than fifty years later. Um, something different from what you had been doing. Uh, you had you had done other types of, of film and, and some TV as well. Was it difficult, challenging to move into this genre of horror and, and play a little bit of a different kind of character?
2: No. Uh, And, uh, and Mark, I just want to put a tag on uh, my relationship with Quinn Martin and my decision to go with 20th Century Fox, who offered me a five-picture deal beginning with Seven Thieves, which uh, I never regretted. It was a great caper film, and it plays uh, a great deal on on television uh, nowadays Mm -hmm. and with a great cast, a wonderful cast. But in answer to um, Willard, um, versatility was my salvation. I could play the good guy, the bad guy, do accents, um, go from a Native American to a good cowboy, a bad cowboy, to a uh, uh, lover boy in um, Harlow, uh, in uh, La... A uh, Lover Boy, <laughs> a Safe Hacker, and Seven Thieves, and uh, so many other uh, uh, diverse characters. <laughs> Which, the what I wanted to do with my career, and I, I was the happiest camper in the world. I did it my way before the song was written. <laughs> yeah, I I guided my career. and This is what I wanted to do: be known as a ver- versatile, highly professional. Uh, actor who can do a a lot of things, a leading, it would be in simple terms, a leading man who has the ability to go into character, okay? Uh, At that time, a a handsome leading man to go into character. So, um, because nowadays you have character leads. They don't have to be handsome, they don't have to be tall and good looking and so forth and women today don't have to be uh, uh, beautiful like Lana Turner and, and oh, all the beautiful uh, uh, women and uh, uh, so forth. So um, anyway, um, Willard was going to be directed by Danny Daniel Mann. he directed the film and uh, Danny and I were very good friends. We played tennis together, and we were looking for, uh, he was looking for something for me to do, a picture we could do together, and so forth. Well, this came along, and there was nothing in it I could have done, you know, uh, excepting uh, that character, Brandt. Brandt and uh, it, it was <laughs> interesting, because the, the work with such Ernest Borgnine and uh, yeah, I mean, it, uh, absolutely, Bruce Davidson, you know, Angela Lansbury. Although I didn't have any scenes with her, but I did with Bruce and, and Ernest. Ernie, we had a lot of fun, and it was an education, really an education. I made a so point. You, you
0: played this character Brant, and just for those who maybe not don't remember the film, you're kind of the lackey to Ernest Borgnine who is the head of the company where Willard works. And neither you or Ernest Borgnine's character are particularly nice guys. You bully and sort of manipulate Willard. It's totally the opposite of the way you are in real life. You're such a nice person, such a nice gentleman. But in this film, you're, you're pretty slimy. Bor- Borgnine is pretty slimy. Uh, yeah. it, it's an interesting, after meeting you and then seeing you in this movie, it it's an interesting dichotomy there.
2: Oh, well, and as it would say, I'm an actor. <laughs> but uh, I want to hear the, the interesting part about this. Uh, Danny, the director, said, Michael, I don't have a big part in it. And this and so forth. would you do this for me? And, and I couldn't turn him down. He's a great director and a wonderful cast. <laughs> and uh, I said, OK. And he said, you know, the, the next one I do, we'll, we'll, it'll be uh, something that you would really want and get your teeth into it and so forth. And I, I really enjoyed it because I learned an awful lot about uh, what these little m- m- mice, how to train these monies I went back to the trainer uh, backstage and I asked him, how do you get these uh, uh, mice uh, to to respond to you and so forth. And he said, Pavlo. Pavlo period. Boom. Get a button. Now, when when the button rang, he would feed them. He would give them little little good and uh, when he put the, the the mice to work, by the way he said, I will know in five minutes, because he had a he had a gang of them. He had a bunch of them. Um, and they were so affectionate they were always warm and cuddling with each other they were really yeah they were really cute
1: oh my goodness
2: yeah there were those huge patch <laughs> like that they were sports and and uh, he said um, he said um, um, watch this so he had his training table back uh, uh, backstage and he put them on and he said watch it, I'll feed them and then the uh, uh, I'll take them away and put them on the side, and then I'll, I'll hit that buzzard, and they'll all come to me. They'll all come to me because they want to eat, <laughs> want the food. So now, when he was well, when they uh, worked in the scene with a whole bunch of them on the table and so forth, and one or two or three of them would meander off and uh, get away from the scene, he'd hit that buzzard. And they all come back into the center, of, of where they uh, the camera was and wanted to work. So he 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 trained them via the Pavlov theater. Yeah. Uh, 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 now on uh, theory, I should say theory. Now when um, um, Davidson had the uh, uh, one of the the My What was the name of? Uh, Ben. Uh, ben. Yeah. Ben. That's right. Yeah. he had Ben on his shoulder and he was licking his ear, licking his ear and so forth. Well, all he did was put peanut butter. He oh. said watch this, Michael? I put he put peanut butter into in his ear, but in, right in the lower part of his ear, and he said, he'll go in there and keep nibbling and it looks like he's he's kissing him. <laughs> And it, it certainly did on camera, like being affectionate to and loving, and uh, Bruce Davidson who loved the rats and the rats loved him. So that's how they were able to get the the, the man, the rats, you know, to uh, look like they was kissing uh, Bruce Davidson.
0: Lots of actors would have been nauseated by having hundreds of mice or rats on the set, but you make it sound like this was pretty enjoyable.
2: Yeah, well, I, that's why I went backstage and uh, uh, learned the, uh, about it from the trainer, who was yeah. brilliant. He was so talented because uh, all of that had to work well and believable. And if not, it's a picture you can. You can do would go down the the drain, but he was everything worked perfectly. He was absolutely brilliant uh, in his craft. He knew exactly what he was doing every moment.
0: Michael, you mentioned the great cast that you had. Let's talk about working with some of these actors. Uh, Ernest Borgnine, who plays the boss to Brandt, uh, you're you're sort of following his lead. What was Ernest Borgnine like to work with?
2: Oh, it was a joy. But he uh, was a pain in the butt. In one, in one sense, he obviously didn't sleep uh, very long at night, or he went to sleep early. If we had a a uh, seven o'clock makeup call, he would get there at six o'clock. Oh wow! Yeah. Now, uh, if I got a seven o'clock call, I'll be there for seven because I wouldn't be there for 6, because uh, I wouldn't—I might wouldn't need another hour's sleep, you know. But he, and it made us look bad, so that then after a while, you know, they were looking at us, you know, we don't get paid any extra, or he didn't get paid extra for coming in earlier, but he was an insomniac. He, he, he'd come in at 6 o'clock, uh, he means Pep Moco. you know he was just absolutely be full of pep and the love and love him to death. He was a wonderful actor, a wonderful man and great to work with. and yeah. Cash was highly professional. It just uh, it was a joy to uh, and I was happy that that I did it even though it was a small part and he got one of the best reviews I ever had in the business. I had a bad review, by the way. Thank God.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Elsa Lanchester plays Willard's mother. And I know the two of you did not have any scenes together, but yeah, I mean, you get to meet her.
2: I Yeah, we talked. You know, we talked. Of course, she was married to uh, one of my favorites, John, uh, with, uh,
0: Charles Lottle.
2: Yeah. She was married to uh, the great actor. Awful. And, uh, and, uh, he, uh, and Danny uh, uh, convinced me, and I was so happy that, that, that he did because uh, it was another uh, experience and another character that I had in my library that if something came along in the future or something like that, because I was usually playing a uh, powerhouse, a strong character, mm-hmm. this brand wasn't that type. He was an office uh, uh uh flunky so to speak and a uh, uh, servant to uh to uh, uh I. <laughs> so they, it turned out uh, to be a, a great experience and uh and really and and friendship uh, Ernie and I got to know each other real well and later on what I did mind Radio show, years later, Mm -hmm. I interviewed him at his home, and we had a wonderful time. And I would see him from time to time. Uh, Bruce I would see once in a while. But I I never got to see um, uh, Charles Laughlin's uh, wife, uh, Elsa Lancaster, two of the most talented people in our business. They were uh, such revered and respected. Laughlin did some brilliant work. Hunchback of Notre Dame. Yeah. and it was so good. Oh, indeed.
0: The old Dark House, he was in the original version of that. Uh, of yeah. course, Elsa Lanchester, Bride of Frankenstein, uh, that, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. a, as good a film as you're going to find from Universal. A couple of other actors that you appeared with in the film. I want to talk about Bruce Davison in a moment, but also Sandra Locke, very young Sandra Locke. Yeah, she Sandra is a love is- interest to Bruce Davidson. Did you, did you get a chance to know her, or talk to her a little bit?
2: Yeah, we we talked a little bit and we did, a, I did a four Texans with uh, Rory Calhoun when he was doing the Texan uh, series and she was in one of the shows and uh, we got, we got to talk again uh, and uh, reminisce, uh, reminisce about Willard and, uh, um, most of them didn't really, uh, weren't interested in co- going backstage and learning about the, the, the rats, so to speak. Uh, so <laughs> they were always, you know, a little skiddy about it. You know. yeah. So we, we had a few laughs and she was a good actress, very good actress.
0: Yeah. Bruce Davidson is still with us. He's a prolific actor. He's done a number of horror movies. At the time of Willard, he was very young. I think he was in his early 20s, but he looks like he's about 15. Uh, And it's amazing to see, you know, this young kid actor uh, and how he's grown into this wonderful career as a character actor now.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. uh, He's done some very good work. I think he won an award for the television show that they they did... um, a Philadelphia story or something having to do with... Uh, he played a homosexual in the movie and he was just...
0: Oh, yeah, uh, the movie Philadelphia, which I think came out in the early 90s. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's just it's a beautiful job. A very, do, you still, do you still keep in touch with him? No, I don't. know. We never, we never really uh, uh, socialized together. You know, mine uh, was... Um, Uh, The people I associated with were were either uh, in their spare time golfers or tennis players or went to the ball game, the Dodger games or Angel games. So um, my life wasn't uh, uh, in my spare time spent in Hollywood, uh, you know, roaming around going from one bar to another. I didn't drink. I never had any drugs in all my life. So uh, I went, uh, and lived a different life. I spent yeah. 25 years with um, on and off with Al Campanus, who was a marvelous, beautiful man, the uh, vice president and general manager of player personnel for the Dodgers yep. for many years, and sat in his booth, and, and uh, I had carte blanche. He came to my set, and when I was doing Seven Thieves, he and Tommy... Lasorda came to visit me when I was shooting uh, uh, Seven Thieves at uh, 20th Century Fox and introduced them to one of their favorites, uh, Lady G. Robinson, Ron Stanger, and Joan Collins. So um, uh, I I thoroughly enjoyed going to the ball games and playing golf or tennis. And I I said, you know, uh, a uh, good, healthy life. That's why I'm still there, I guess maybe That's That's right. <laughs> again, flying gardens uh, so far so good doing okay,
0: yeah. I know that Tracy wanted to ask you about your involvement with one of the most iconic sci-fi mm-hmm. TV series of all time. Uh, Tracy, take us in that direction because this is fascinating too.
1: I am I, i'm a huge science fiction fan, and I discovered that you did some episodes of Star Trek, which is one of my most favorite besides Stargate, of course, the original Star Trek, Next Generation, it's another love of mine. Can you maybe talk a little bit about getting your roles in Star Trek or what it was like?
2: it's very interesting. It was one of the easiest jobs I ever got in my life. Um, Uh. I got a phone call in my home uh, from um, uh, Mr. Roddenberry's office. And directly, not through my agent, but directly from his secretary called my, my home. because uh, And she apologized. She said, oh, one of our personnel, uh, a friend of yours uh, here in the office, who knows you very well, and he said, oh, yeah, sure, I don't know uh, her. He said, yes, yeah, she works here in the office, and she had your phone number, and um, Mr. Rodenberg has a uh, an excellent role for you, and he would like to see you ASAP. Could you come in? This was um, about ten thirty, eleven o'clock in the morning. He said, "Would well, could you come in uh, in the next couple of hours or so? I said, sure, sure. And I went in, and I passed no casting, and the secretary brought me right into the office and he said, "Michael, I saw you uh, on a show oh, uh, well, about a week ago, mm-hmm. and um, uh, you were you were excellent. It was just uh, uh, right for this one role. I just saw you in and, uh, in in this uh, particular role." And he said, "God, uh, Julie Newmar to play opposite Julie Newmar. needed it all." I uh, had some intellectual uh, group of, uh, uh, of people <laughs> of uh, 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 tribe uh, right. to play, play, play these uh, two leading characters. And he said, uh, uh, it was a Western I saw you in. You were terrific. He said, Michael, all we're doing is a Western in the sky. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. He said, Star Trek is a Western in the sky. Good guy, bad guy. You know who the good guy is, the bad guy is. First act, second act, third act. We have an hour show to do it. And he said, when I saw you, I I saw Ma, the character I played. Mm-hmm. In and I guess started in the uh, episode with Julie Newmar. She and I both get started in the piece. And, uh, I One guy, he said, here's the script. Take it home. If you like it, you got the job. He said, call your agent, and we'll, we'll set everything up. Well, I went home. I read it and called my agent. The agent called him. And it was the easiest job I ever got in my life. Yeah, I had never forgot that. But when he told me, it just rang a bell. He said, all we're doing is not Western in the sky, that was the first three years of the uh, with Bill Shander and Leonard Nimoy,
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh, George Takei, and so forth. It was a great show to work on. As a matter of fact, um, this is a very, very great, uh, great experience. We were shooting in a location uh, north of Hollywood, mm-hmm. a very famous location where they did. Pickups of westerns and TV shows called Vast Rocks. And I mean, it was loaded with boulders and in a ravine. So it was deep down, and all these boulders surrounded all of the grounds. So, I mean, the the day was 117. Mm -hmm. 117. I went to my outfit. That if you remember, Tracy, mm-hmm. coming in, the face was cold. everything uh, from my body to with one piece down to my boots. And that day I lost seven pounds. <laughs> I lost seven pounds of muscle. I didn't have an ounce of fat on me in those days. I was, well. Then, now I'm, I'm much lighter, but then I was about 185 and I lost, I weighed myself that. I, I weighed hundred and seventy-five. I had lost like ten pounds. It was so hot, there was no air in that room. And we had to shoot all day. And Julie was having a rough time, so they had to put to- wet towels around them. Joe Pevney, the producer, the the, the director you know, had a rough time. He he was he said, Michael, he said, see I hope I'm get a heart attack here. They had to put ice packs around his neck and put ice packs on a padded uh, camera. Those things were visual cameras. They didn't have the cameras like they do today. And they had them to, on top of the, on the mats, the little mats, they put ice ice packs. They put them on the camera to make work. And boy, oh boy, and two just, it, it, we, we got through the day and and, and it was and Julie and I were sitting down in the limousine going back to to the studio um the dressing room there and um, she said I hope I never have to do right like that and she was drenched we were both drenched and every time I walk you could hear then it <laughs> Uh, something, but we got, had a good show, and uh, every time I make an appearance at a, stri- a Star Trek uh, venue, mm-hmm. I will say, this is one of my favorite uh, episodes, Friday's Child, because we had, we had comedy, we had drama, and we had action in, in the picture. So we had a good script. So to get all of that uh, in one uh, hour segment, it was miraculous because Joe Pemney was a very good director and he got everything he needed. And and we, uh, we all, everybody did a good job and they had an awful lot of fun. It was really fun to fantasize and go into another period of our of, 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 of. And again, diversity. He gave me another character that I never played before, which was something that. I wanted to do, continuously do different uh, uh, characters.
1: Oh my gosh, what a career. Oh my gosh, just so varied with the different roles that you've had. And that's, I, I love that story. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Are you a Trekkie fan, uh, Tracy? Yes. <laughs> oh, no. and by the way, Trekkies
2: at all the venues, they're the most polite. I'll give you an example. The first uh, uh, venue I did was uh, uh, Pasadena uh, Auditorium, you know, and they had it with, with Bill and Leonard Nimoy, literally from the stage all the way out the door to the street, lining and two and three in a, in a line, and by the time they got to us, we were uh, in, uh, in in back of. Uh, of uh, Bill and Leonard, our tables with all of our pictures and DVDs and so forth and um, uh, lo and behold the, the Trekkies that came to our table they said gosh how long have you been waiting in line to to, to get to our table my table? They said three hours. I said three hours? <laughs> really? Are you disappointed? And Oh uh, They were upset. He said, Oh no. She said he said and he said, Oh, happy to be English. She said, Oh no. He said, oh, No. no. Uh, we love coming here. We live in Manchester and he said, we come here every year and we love doing it. And I said, Well, oh, do you have relatives here and you make it uh, a visit and uh, and come to the to the uh, venue? Mm-hmm. Oh, no, no. We save up all year, all our money to come here to the shows. Wow. Oh, my yeah. God. That's amazing. And three hours of standing in line, she said, well, you know, we, we have all so nice folks that we meet here. And we talk and we get to know each other. And then year after, year, we, we meet them again and we have a great time again. We would love coming here." That is adorable, polite, patient fans in the whole world.
1: Oh, oh my gosh! And that's what's good about sci-fi fans. Um well,
2: I have a really great story if you don't mind. Oh. Um, Star Trek. They're so, they're uh, so loyal. They all have portfolios like this. Now the pictures there varied in those days. Uh, the 8 by 10 and the autograph, of buying an autograph, uh, it was minimum was $25 to $100 for uh, Shadner and Leonard Nimoy and so forth. It varied. Well, my uh, niece had a birthday, and uh, I called her to wish her a happy uh, birthday, and I said, well, I'm coming down the weekend, and I want to take you wherever you want to go, I want to take you within region, okay? Chris it said, oh, oh, okay, i go back. You know what? We want to go to the San Diego Zoo. I want to go to the, the zoo. Can we go to the zoo? I said, yeah, sure. And uh, I told Mom, my brother, and his wife, my brother's uh, a daughter and, and, and son, I told John, John John, and uh, you, I'll, I'll take the both of you. Ask, and I, I asked my brother and, and sister all, is okay if I take the two kids? Sure, take them. So they lived in Newport Beach. And I went out and spent the weekend. And that Sunday, uh, I took them to the San Diego Zoo. <laughs> and if you've ever been to the, the, the San Diego Zoo, they had these giant cages with thousands of little birds, different breeds of birds and two of them. And I am looking there and my, I have a, my niece and nephew by the hand. They were just uh, seven or eight, six, seven or eight years old at the time. And and look oh, look at that pretty one, that one is so poor. And I look over my shoulder and there's three women about, I'd say about 15, 20 yards away. they're mm-hmm. pointing at us and i look at it. I, I, I don't know them so and they keep pointing like this and i look around and I tell me we're talking pointing at somebody else nearby okay. so we go to the next cage and uh, the nice big cage and so forth looking at the birth and i look over my shoulder and they're about 10 yards away and they're pointing at me and he said ma So, what? They came over the three people. These were trackies. Oh, God. (laughs) They were trackies. And they had their portfolios with them. Can you imagine that? They had their portfolios with them and so forth, with hundreds of pictures in them. So I said, Oh, Mr. Dante, oh, would you please sign your autograph? I I, I, I have your picture, but sign it again. Would you sign it for me and so forth? (laughs) And the three of them, I said, "Why do you b- b- bring your, your portfolios here to a, the zoo?" They said, "Oh, you never know when you run into someone who has played or done a, a Star Trek." <laughs> wow! Oh, all right, but it works. And so that that was. A, uh, a reality that happened to me that flabbergasted me and so forth. I couldn't believe it.
0: Yeah, that's great, Michael. One other actor I wanted to ask you about, and it turned out very important in your life, and a guy that you had a connection with, also in that he was also a ball player turned actor, Chuck Connors, and. When he became an actor, one of the things he specialized in in the 1970s were sci-fi and horror films. He was in Soylent Green. He was in a really underrated movie called Tourist Trap. But he has a personal connection to you. Tell us about that.
2: Yeah. Um, Mary Jane and her mother were invited to the uh, sportsman's uh, luncheon that they had opposite Warner Brothers uh, in the, at the uh, Country Club. And they met once a month. And their father was one of the creators of that uh, organization where there were sports writers, sports announcers, and, and uh, uh, sports uh, personalities. Mm-hmm. And the theme for that month was um, uh, actors or athletes professional athletes that made the trans the transition to sports okay her father Mark Scott was the announcer for the Hollywood Stars, uh, a baseball team right and he and Tommy Harmon uh created this uh, uh group <laughs> he's all these talented people together and uh, uh to uh, keep on top of one was going on in the sports world in Los Angeles with whom and so forth and so on. All the inside info. And they have a special guest. In this case, they had Esther Williams, uh, John Bernardino, uh, of course, Chuck Connors, Chuck Sejan, and myself, the five of us. <laughs> and, uh, it was all... We had to uh, be called, when we were called to the podium, talk about our transition, how that took place, where, when, and how, and so forth. But um, uh, Mary Jane and her mother uh, were very good friends with with uh, Chuck Connors. <laughs> and uh, Mark Scott and Chuck were very close. And uh, Mark was very instrumental in getting... Uh, Chuck started in the business because he, uh, he would do uh, Casey at the Bat. He did a very good Casey at the Bat, and he did it at the uh, Hollywood uh, uh, Ballpark. Mm. And, and, and Mark Scott introduced him and gave him the opportunity to do it live on camera. And then, of course, the producers saw him that he had potential as an actor. When Mark Scott was the uh, it was very instrumental in giving him his first opportunity on camera. So now, when I walked in into the uh, the dining room, uh, Goldie Goldie was the, the host of the uh, program, and uh, Goldie said, "Oh, Michael, so happy you, you, you came because I had called a week before. I said I might have to do something." He said, "Oh, don't let me down." Please come and so forth. Well anyway, when he came in he hugged me and he so forth and so And at the first table on my right, when I walked in was Chuck Connors holding court with uh, three others at his table. We were all at a, a table and each at each table there were three three uh, guests and uh the star uh, uh, would be the a host of the of the of the, of the, of the the tables. <laughs> so I walks in. He said, "Hey, Michael." And Chuck was very boi- boisterous voiceless. He, he had really, <laughs> he could be off the wall sometimes. Then be, "Michael, come over here I haven't seen you in a while. I live here in Powell, It's over on the tour." And we're talking baseball. He said, "You and I, we have to, we have to talk baseball." It's over anyway. Shortly thereafter, Goldie rang the bell. That meant everybody would go on the respective tables, and the program would start. And and Chuck said, uh, I said, oh, we'll, we'll talk later. He told him, what do you mean later? He said, no, no, you're going to sit here. I, I can't. I said, Goldie, will you tell this guy i got to go to my team? He said, Goldie, he sits here. Well, Goldie said, all right, all right, okay, go ahead. Oh, Michael, sit there and so forth. So I apologize later to the other uh, the sports writers, announcers, now two sports writers, and one of the announcers. And um, anyway, we, we were called uh, to the podium uh, to tell uh, for our story about the transition to tour. But on our way out, Chuck was holding court. Now we're standing there. And Mary Jane and, and her mother came to, to the table, and Mary Jane's mom said, "Uh, Chuck, I don't know if you remember me, but I'm Mark Scott's uh, wife, and and Dorothy, this is my daughter, uh, Mary Jane. And he said, oh, my God, oh, she was. So Mary Jane had a pencil in a pad. She said, Chuck, do you mind if we, we... Maybe tell me more about my father in a, for the exchange numbers and so forth. And then I turned around and did, he was gone. And Chuck was facing. So he was gone. So i was standing there and I said, uh, are you married? She said, no. Are you? I said, well, uh, I have your phone number? Would you like to go to lunch one day and so forth? Well, you know, first of all, he introduced me. Before he left, they said, This is Michael Dante and, and uh, Mary Jane Scott and uh, Chuck and then uh, we looked at each other and then he was gone. Then we exchanged <laughs> Mary Jane and I exchanged numbers. Uh we went uh, uh, we went to uh, dinner and night. she was going to um England with her uh, relatives, her cousins. <laughs> Well, I'm going to her. I said, well, you have to eat. So, because <laughs> she was leaving in two days. So the night before we had dinner, and I said, well, I'll call you when we got back. When you get back, I called her when you get back, and she became my wife. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and
2: we got married, and we've been married uh, over 30 years to this day.
1: Wow. Chuck Connors is responsible
2: yeah. for a
0: museum.
1: That is so big,
0: sweet. Big assist to Chuck Connors on that one. Uh, very helpful. Nice, uh, nice. Michael, before we let you go, one last question. Uh, you're, you're still very active to this day. You've mentioned all the books that you've been writing. You still make public appearances. Tell us what's next for you on your busy schedule.
2: Well, I have two things. One is on my radio show, which you can go on on my website. First of all, the audience is uh, Mark, uh, Bruce, and, and Tracy on uh, michaeldonteway.com. All on com, And you can see, take that little mouse and you see the gallery and all of my credits, all my awards, and my radio show. I have over two hundred radio shows, which I did, in twelve years, mm-hmm. and now we're working in getting them to go on on uh, YouTube. Oh, okay. go on and see the hear those radio shows. I've a three-minute show and, and an hour show, mm-hmm. um. and <laughs> You would see all the all the stars that have introduced uh, and interviewed for forty plus. Of Hall of Famers from the sports world, and actors and actresses and entertainers, all the greats, from Milton Berle, Tony Curtis, Buddy Hackett, the Jerry Vale, uh, my God, um, uh, Tommy Lasorda, Yogi Berle, Ralph Kiner, uh, well, gee, it just it just just goes on and on with all over uh, the the greats. Of all time, Virginia Mayo, Rod Steiger. I mean, it's just a, a wonderful, a wonderful journey for those. And you can hear that. It's free. It's all free. And mm-hmm. go, so, Team Dante talk shows, plural. Team Dante talk And you could so uh, have the privilege of, of hearing these great uh, interviews. And one with Dick Butkus, who just passed away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hall of Famer for the mm-hmm. Chicago Bears, uh and the like of, of great athletes like that, Rod Laver, I mean, it just uh, goes on and uh, on, John Havlicek, it goes on and on and on and on. And uh, all the, um, uh, Bruce, uh, the Hall of Famers that you would appreciate uh, that are in the Hall of Fame uh, that I interviewed, or uh, baseball, are just incredible.
0: All right, so that's Team Dante Talk dot com. Is that correct?
2: To re- Team Dante Radio dot com. Um,
0: okay, Team Dante, Team Dante Radio dot com. Again, Team Dante Radio dot com for the
2: our And my website is Michael Dante Way dot com, and you can see all of the uh, work that I've done over the 60-plus years that I've
1: been in the business. Oh, nice. And we'll make sure that we have all of the links to your sites at the bottom of the podcast and the video as well.
0: Michael, we thank you very much. It's been a real pleasure and privilege to uh, talk to you over this last hour plus. Our thanks also to uh, your wife, Mary Jane, for helping to arrange this. Uh, Michael Dante, award-winning actor, award-winning author, uh, more than 30 credits in television and more than 150 in film. Um, and uh, someone who has uh, done his share of horror over the years as well. Michael, thank you. We really appreciate it.
2: Well, thank, thank you, you pleasure. And Tracy, it really was a pleasure. And I'm so happy you're a Trekkie.
1: <laughs> a Trekkie and a Gator. <laughs> no. Thank you so much, Michael. This has been fascinating today. Thank you.
0: Again, our guest, Michael Dante. We thank him. We thank our co-host and producer, Tracy Asteria. want to thank all of you for joining us in this Museum of the Macabre. And we hope you'll join us next time right here in the Ghostly Gallery.